Hello and welcome to the Politics Just Got Bigger podcast. I'm John Bigger. I didn't really want to um, make a joke out of my surname, but there we go. Uh, I've done it now. At least I'm allowed to because it's mine, isn't it? Um, No one else can do it, especially not in a uh, lesson if you have tutoring with me. But there we go. Um, uh, what What I want to do today is, this is the first of these podcasts, and I want to explain why I'm doing this uh, to begin with, um, because uh, I'm I'm really interested in podcasts, and there's so many good, um, so many good politics podcasts around, and they're they're impressive. There's a a wide variety of podcasts, and there's also really good podcasts, not just from uh, political uh, organisations and uh, newspapers, um, journals, and so on. There are um, good political podcasts by politics teachers. Um, So I'm really interested in providing something for my students and maybe a wider audience as well for free, just because I think it might help them in studying A-level government and politics, because it can be quite a tricky subject to keep up to date with. And... I think that uh, sometimes I, I think about my tutoring and I think, how can I be more like a school or college teacher? And I think that that is perhaps the wrong question to be asking of myself because I'm not a school or college teacher. I'm a one-to-one tutor. And that's a very, very different thing. And and sometimes I'm trying to replicate what people are already uh, doing as school or college teachers and I'm changing that because I think I should actually be bold enough and brave enough to offer something different because I'm in a different situation. I offer a different product which is one-to-one tuition and I think there are people who want to have tuition um, uh, on a a one-to-one basis uh, ad hoc, they pay as they go uh, maybe they will want tuition once a week um, until they have their exam. And then there are people who perhaps want a more targeted approach. They want to have tuition for a shorter amount of time uh, on a specific topic, perhaps, to do with the syllabus. And so I can be much more flexible in my approach and tailor what I give to students uh, and, of course, uh, and, of course, their parents who will have a, a, an obvious interest in uh, whatever they are studying. So I'm taking a different approach, and I think that's right. And that enables me to maybe offer things that people aren't getting at school or college. Because why would I, why do I, why would I need to, already, to provide students with what they're already getting? And that is, that is why I'm starting to do these podcasts and I've also started a weekly review of current affairs that subscribers uh, can get from my website uh, John Bigger uh, Politics Tuition and um, the incentive behind this is to spread good practice I suppose to spread a sense of uh, keeping up to date with what's going on uh, provide people with 
things to do with the news but go beyond that think about things like study skills and to help people with revision tips and exam tips and exam help uh, all of these things are things you will get to a certain extent from your school or college but I can offer them offer them in a different way and I'm conscious of the fact that there will be people who uh, will want to have um, uh, tuition but they might also not want to have tuition uh, they might want uh, stuff like this for free and they might also be willing to pay a small amount towards really useful information uh, regarding getting the best out of an exam getting the best out of a revision period and so on and so forth so what I want to do with this is to uh, help people find those resources, to help people reach that position, um, to help people find my website as well, where some of this stuff will will go up, and uh, hopefully um, uh, people will enjoy the free stuff, and uh, if they think it's suitable for them, they'll either want tuition uh, with me, or they will uh, want to purchase uh, the resources that I'm uh, making available. So that's kind of my motivation and um, uh, what I want to do now is talk about how I'm doing this. So this is a bit of a ramble. This is not a uh, polished performance perhaps as a, uh, a brand new podcast and I don't intend it to be. I think there are really good, um, really slick presentations out there uh, and people can certainly find them and they will be good. This is a much more um, personal thing. This is a podcast that comes um, kind of flowing from my brain in a way. Um, and I like that style because uh, what it does is it allows you to talk um, in a kind of natural way about how you feel about politics. And, and, you know, if I make a mistake or if I you know, get, get something slightly wrong and correct myself, uh, try and stick with it because uh, I think it's a more natural way of doing things. And, and this isn't about giving you lots of facts and figures. This is about um, telling you how I feel about um, what is going on, particularly in British and American politics uh, right now. Um, and uh, one of the things that's really interesting is you can't divorce um, uh, politics from your life as well. So when we study government and politics and we're keeping up to date with it regularly, uh, unlike a lot of subjects, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're keeping up to date with actual events going on in the world. If someone asks you how you felt uh, during the Battle of Hastings, you're going to find that a struggle to answer but you are going to be able to answer people um, about how you feel about the 2020 presidential election. You'll have your own opinions and you'll also uh, have your own style of writing about them and, and certain things will stick in your brain when it comes to the exam if you want to mention uh, things to do with the 2020 presidential election in your exam. And, and so we're living through this and we're all living slightly different versions of it. Right now, I am pretty tired after being up to watch the final uh, presidential debate, which is what I'm going to come to in a moment. Um, and uh, so I can't divorce the way I feel about that debate 
without knowing that I set my alarm to watch it and uh, and I had an interrupted therefore I had a, like a, a split in my uh, sleeping pattern uh, last night and that is one of the features sometimes of uh, following American politics if you follow it as deeply as I do. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's, in, it's important because um, you know, we don't need to hide our feelings either. We're allowed to, we're allowed to feel tired when we've been up in the middle of the night, and it does influence our view of things. And there might have been things that I missed last night when I watched it live, and uh, I haven't looked at any news reports this morning since I watched it. So my opinions of it are going to come from that one viewing in the middle of the night, uh, but they're valid because, of course, they of course they're valid. I I witnessed it. Um, and uh, I feel as though I'm I'm pretty astute when it comes to politics. Um, I've all I always have been, and I started studying uh, my A-level government and politics uh, in 1992. Uh, so I want to give you a little bit of information about me, uh, because if you don't uh, have tuition with me, you'll wonder why on earth you should take my opinions any more seriously than anybody else's. Uh, but I studied uh, A-level government and politics in 1992 to 94. Then I went to university and did a politics degree from 1994 to 1997. And then in 1997, I did, I started a year on an MA programme at Leeds University, uh, looking at democratic studies. And then uh, in the year 2000, uh, I, I really was very, very keen to get closer to politics. And, uh, and I, I, found myself with a job in the home office in, in government um, and I didn't get as close to, uh, to close to politicians as I would have liked but I did do some pretty interesting things in a variety of jobs over a 13-year period uh, uh, including um, uh, making uh, or drafting briefing material for Prime Minister's questions uh, for Tony Blair um, and uh, writing uh, briefing materials during a, a really busy period when there was a cabinet reshuffle, making sure that every new minister in the Home Office had a pack of information about what the department was doing. Um, so there were kind of sporadic um, uh, moments of real intense political activity. Um, and all the time in the civil service when you're working in a Whitehall department you are you are close really you are seeing that department work in action so you are seeing the role of the executive so I had 13 uh, 13 years of that and then I did a, another master's in uh, international labor and trade union studies so I have a lot of um, a lot of experience of uh, studying in um, what are political themes, definitely, and working in them too. And then, more latterly, I've been completing a PhD in politics at Loughborough University. So I've got a lot of experience, and so I've always been keeping up to date with politics. I didn't realise I would be doing this when I started back in 1992, but politics has been a steady uh, part of my life. It's never really uh, gone away. So I'm, I'm doing this uh, from, you know, my own experience of politics, my own understanding of it, and I'm reflecting uh, how, um, 
how I feel about that and what I think is important. So this is not an exhaustive list and a, and a list of current affairs events that is perfect. It is very personal. It is mine. There are others. Um, but it could be a useful guide for you and it should be a useful guide for you to think about what is going on because one of the problems that we have as students of politics is that we're encouraged to keep up to date and sometimes what we fall we, we lapse into checking the headlines and the headlines are what a handful of people basically want us to think about um, what we need is analysis and there are obviously there are some absolutely fantastic uh, podcasts which are looking at analysis on a daily, uh, weekly basis. And I should uh, reference uh, uh, the podcast by Steve Richards, which is called Rock and Roll Pol Politics. Rock and Roll Politics. And Steve Richards is a, a journalist uh, who I really admire, and he does uh, a similar kind of, well, I'm kind of trying to emulate his style and probably failing completely because he is uh, an extremely experienced journalist who can talk at length about politics and does so from the experience of interviewing um, prime ministers and uh, prominent politicians for decades. He knows so much and understands a, a great deal about politics. So I really admire uh, his uh, journalism and his writing and also his style. There are some uh, brilliant um, half hours that sometimes crop up on the BBC iPlayer that he's done reflecting on British politics that he's uh, observed over the years. Um, so he's well worth um, checking out. Um, so I'm trying to do a, a, I'm trying to kind of copy that style in a way, uh, talking uh, about politics in the way that I um, feel I can and the way that I feel is relevant. So um, let me talk about the presidential debate then before we go any further because I've talked quite a lot already without actually talking about any politics but I wanted to explain why I'm doing this uh, before we got started. So last night there was the final presidential debate between Biden and Trump so I got up and I got my cup of tea ready and I wondered how it was going to be would there be well there couldn't be as much interrupting as the first one because of the decision by the commission that organizes the debates to mute the microphone of the person not speaking for the first two minutes of each segment of the debate so I was aware that there would be uh, less uh, interruptions and obviously last time both candidates interrupted the other. I would say that Trump did that more than Biden. Um, and uh, on this occasion, obviously that didn't happen, but also Trump did not interrupt and Biden didn't interrupt during the uh, main part of the debate as well. Once they'd finished the segments which were, which saw the other candidate muted, they didn't interrupt each other. And this uh, perhaps... Uh, is one of the reasons why I consider that Donald Trump had a much more subdued uh, debate last night. It felt to me as though he was subdued. And actually, when the debate was finished uh, and, um, and he was leaving the stage, I thought he looked a little bit kind of crestfallen. He didn't look like a man who felt victorious uh, in the debate he felt he looked like he had not performed as well as he wanted or that it was it was a difficult 
event for him. He basically did his normal thing of attacking the opponent. He came up with some funny lines occasionally. He came up with some, some interesting things to say. And and then something happened um, at about three in the morning. Uh, I can't remember the exact time, but there was a question where things started to get a little bit personal in a family way. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump was um, criticising Biden and his family. And Biden did what he did in the first debate, which was to turn to the camera and say, this is not about our families, this is about American families out there. I'm paraphrasing, but that is roughly what Biden had to say. And that was interesting in as much as it's the obvious thing to do. Um, but the way Trump handled it was uh, was really interesting. And I thought, um, and, and it brought forward to me uh, some issues that I think are worth addressing. So what Trump did was he said that um, he's basically, that Biden was basically answering the question by turning to the camera and acting like uh, a normal politician. Um, and that's an interesting, uh, an interesting criticism when you think they're both going uh, for the presidency of the USA, um, criticising your opponent as a politician. But of course, Trump uh, wasn't a politician uh, four years ago, perhaps. Uh, perhaps we, we would say that. Um, and perhaps we could say he's not one now. It's debatable, I think. Uh, he clearly doesn't think of himself as a politician. And perhaps, and perhaps that's right. Perhaps he is actually a celebrity businessman. Um, and so, so that criticism, <clears throat> excuse me, is is an interesting one, and it uh, and it tells us something about the two campaigns and their teams, uh, because it was not a criticism that Biden disliked. You could see that, uh, and actually, the rest of the the debate hinged around this idea that Biden uh, was a normal politician and Trump was different. And Trump pointed out that in 2016, that is not what the American public wanted. Uh, he said he claimed he won the presidency because they didn't want a normal politician. And that's an interesting point. And he might have a point, although obviously uh, Hillary Clinton um, got the uh, popular vote. So it's a difficult one to argue to say that the American public didn't want uh, a normal politician when they uh, clearly actually voted for one in large numbers. Um, but there is, a, there is a point here, and the point here is that, uh, that this suits both campaigns. This, uh, this allegation of normal politician for Biden suits his campaign, and it suits Trump's. And it suits Biden, because although Trump was able to win on the back of not being a normal politician four years ago, it is just possible that the American public are willing again to go back to a normal politics. Um, presidential elections, um, when it comes to a second term for a president, are often a referendum on that president. Normally, we think of that in terms of their policies. But in this instance... It is when it comes to Trump, it is all about personality as well as uh, obviously there will be people who disagree with his poli his policies, but there might also be something uh, about 
um, this election, which is around how politics interferes with people's everyday lives. Not everybody is following every twist and turn of American politics, but it is difficult not to uh, see uh, American politics when your president is tweeting things in the middle of the night that um, dominate uh, what you're what you're hearing about in the news when you're getting ready to go to work or school the next day. Um, so politics has been loud. Politics has been noisy. Politics has not been about how somebody deals with day-to-day -day issues and governs. It has been about uh, what somebody might tweet or what somebody has said. And it's become very, very difficult to fact-check what the president of the USA is saying. Because by the time a journalist has checked one claim, the president has then made a, a whole series of other claims that need to be fact-checked as well. So it's a very, very... Uh, um, uh, it's, it's a situation where some people in America might be thinking, OK, a normal politician... That's, uh, that's actually quite nice. And that is just part of Biden's campaign. He's saying, yeah, this is a return to what we had in the past. Um, I think, actually, uh, if, if he wins the presidency and uh, the Democrats win the House and the Senate, which is a possibility, we might actually see some quite uh, radical uh, changes coming up. We've, we've heard already about this idea of um, uh, Supreme Court packing. Uh, there's also... Uh, the possibility, perhaps, of even some uh, territories of the United States joining uh, and becoming full states in their own right. There's all sorts of uh, issues to do with health care. And some of these policies came out in the debate as well. But what really came out to me in the debate was that this was, a, this was being framed by the candidates themselves uh, as a contest between a politician and a celebrity. And that suits both of them. And right now, all of the indications are uh, heading towards or, or seemingly um, suggesting that the USA is heading towards a Biden victory. I don't think that debate was a game changer. I think it just told us something about the two candidates. And I think that's that's how I that's how I am interpreting it uh, at the very least. OK. I want to turn now to some British politics, and uh, this is something that I wrote about in my last weekly review. Uh, I added some links to a developing story at the time, and it's developed a lot since uh, I sent the review out on Monday, which is why I want to make uh, reference to it, and that is uh, the idea of these uh, different tiers for COVID restrictions um, in the UK uh, we've seen a situation where different parts of the UK are going in different directions, and that is a feature of uh, devolved government. We've got asymmetric devolution, so uh, different parts of the UK have different powers and are able to go in uh, different directions, uh, which doesn't help uh, in terms of the confusion that seems to be apparent uh, in the UK on uh, what the measures are in each area and what people are allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, and so on and so forth. It got more complicated uh, this week, and this started actually uh, over a week ago now, with 
issues to do with uh, English mayors, particularly the uh, Labour mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, who just a few years ago was battling um, Jeremy Corbyn for the leadership of the Labour Party. And now he's sprung up and become uh, a, a bit more of a, a figure in the public eye nationally again. Um, and, and ultimately this came down, of course, to money. And uh, they're arguing over how much Greater Manchester should have in order to get these uh, restrictions um, in, in place. And, of course, ultimately it meant that the Westminster government uh, effectively forced them on the area. Uh, other negotiations have gone in, in different ways, but what this, um, what, what this says to me is that this is really like the first time we've seen devolution, if we want to call the English mayor's uh, devolved administrations in some way, um, this is the first time we've seen them kick back against uh, a government, any government, in a uh, in a major way. It's the first time it's really uh, took hold, and I wonder whether that is something that it, we are going to see in the future more and more, or whether it is uh, just a one-off. Of course, COVID is uh, is a uh, an ongoing situation, and it's one that changes. Um, that has the potential to change everything really uh, because we're just, just in so unusual times I thought that this time last year was unusual uh, we'd witnessed um, some amazing uh, shenanigans day to day in parliament uh, over Brexit and now we're seeing COVID-19 so just when we thought there might be a respite from unusual politics uh, we've, we've got it uh, back in abundance and of course that can make it difficult to study as well don't uh, don't panic about it, is what I would say. Look for the analysis, not the headlines. Look for what is going on in the long term. And this, this could be a long-term thing, this English devolution uh, issue. It's been uh, going on a while now. What do you do with England if you give Scotland its own parliament? And, of course, uh, England really dominates Westminster because of the number of MPs uh, uh, England has. Um, uh, out of the 650, I think there's uh, over 530 uh, MPs in England. Um, so England is always going to dominate uh, Westminster. So the Scottish Parliament um, makes an adjustment for that. It corrects that problem. Um, but in doing so, it allows, um, it, it allows the Scottish government to go in a different direction on certain things. And as a result of that, we are seeing um, a a rise in the support of the Scottish National Party since 1997. I think in 1997 they had six MPs. They've now got 48. They run the Scottish government. Uh, there's elections next year, which could see them gain a majority in the Scottish Parliament. And with their success, uh, success not just electorally but also in popularity in the way that they are handling uh, COVID-19. Nicola Sturgeon with her daily press conferences has become a figure who is uh, trusted to a certain extent and so the Scottish Nationalists are proving that they can govern and, and with that is coming a rise in support for Scottish independence and it's now more popular than ever. 
Um, so devolution is definitely in the news right now and is a really, really important issue uh, to, to keep following. And you have to put it in that context of how um, how this asymmetric devolution causes um, potential problems for the Westminster government, it, t- potential tension. Uh, and now that tension isn't just between um, a UK government and devolved administrations in Edinburgh or Cardiff it is within England as well which adds an extra dimension I think that's a fascinating one as well and finally I just want to say a quick word about uh, free school meals because this is an issue that has developed uh, well it developed over the summer first of all but it's come back now Um, Marcus Rashford uh, footballer has uh, been at the forefront of calling for some uh, state help for people who uh, need it and um, there was a vote in parliament uh, this week and um, the conservatives uh, uh, kind of brushed that aside really although there were uh, some uh, conservative MPs who rebelled against uh, their whip Um, but the reason that this, I think, is, is quite issue, quite interesting is because a lot of the Conservatives were arguing, and this is a feature of conservatism, um, they were arguing for kind of a charitable response, that they were encouraging people to, first of all, um, uh, look after their own children and provide, their, provide school meals, uh, which is obviously difficult if you can't afford them. Um, but that was a, a, a typically conservative... Um, approach of one that is kind of um, uh, attached to the market the idea that you should be providing uh, for your for your children and that that is you know you you should be economically responsible but there was also this idea of charity and philanthropy and people being encouraged to give uh, rather than the state providing and that is also a typically Uh, conservative uh, idea I think Um, and that is actually how it's turning out so uh, and and this has suited people on the left as well who have said look at all of these nice companies nice people who are giving money and food and so on for free school meals but that's exactly what the conservatives were arguing for as well so we've reached this kind of position at the moment at least that appears to be a consensus Uh, that uh, aren't people nice and wonderful and fluffy and lovely uh, in providing all of this stuff. And uh, I don't think anybody is ultimately going to be unhappy with anybody providing food that is going to help people who are hungry. Um, The issue still remains, though, why uh, the issue is is over whether the state should do it and not individuals and companies. And, And I think the Conservatives will be a little bit frustrated at the headlines in the short uh, short term but over the if this just blows away and people get used to the idea of individuals and companies providing free school meals out of the kindness of their own heart it will suit a certain type of conservative and I don't think they will be too disappointed okay those are my my thoughts this week um, I will gladly take some feedback uh, on this if people have any uh, hopefully it's been interesting uh, and hopefully it's um, pointed you in some interesting directions in terms of uh, analysis that you can look at yourself and find out more. 
Um, like I say, um, try to get away from the headlines and try to delve deeper into the analysis. Sunday newspapers are good for that. Uh, don't just look at um, what uh, journalists are saying. Look at what, uh, uh, sorry, news journalists. Take a look at what opinion and comment um, pieces are saying as well, provided you know where the writer is coming from, you know what their politics is, you should be able to get something out of it. Never read anything or listen to anything at face value. Always try to work out what the person is trying to tell you and why they're trying to tell you it. Um, that is intelligent reading. Okay, um, brilliant. Uh, take a look at my website, uh, subscribe for uh, extra help, um, subscribe for free for weekly updates, and I will hopefully speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.